So here we are in, uh, in our study here in Acts, and kind of interestingly, the message today um, is a word for pastors. Now, I know the pastors have gone home, and we are now here gathering, and I, I don't know, maybe there's a few pastors here or a few people that are maybe um, thinking about it, or maybe some of you aren't even thinking about it, but perhaps there's a, a point in your life when God's going to call you uh, into pastoral ministry. So we're going we're, we're gonna to look at um, Paul's word to the pastors today. It is that, that portion of scripture that John read. Uh, that's just one of the greatest passages in the whole book of Acts, and in some ways it's just one of those great, great texts in the whole of scripture. So it's a great passage to think about together and for us to to just kind of get the biblical picture of what the pastor is about, what the, what the life and uh, the ministry of the pastor is like. So so now, as as we're making our way now, as we come to kind of the the final portion of the book of Acts, I mentioned to you that my objective is to finish up Acts before we leave for the UK at the end of July. So we're going to go rather quickly through some of the large narrative portions, and we're going to just stop and and land. I'll try to to keep the continuity, try to keep threading it so we can follow the history, but uh, we're not going to go into you know every detail of of every passage. So. Even today, as you notice, we're picking up in verse 17 of chapter 20, and uh, the first first uh, 16 verses we have passed over. But let me just give you just a quick overview of those so we can just keep the continuity going of the story. So the, the, the 20th chapter begins with these words, after the uproar had ceased. And so at the end of chapter 19, uh, there was the big uproar over Diana of the Ephesians and, and, you know, all of that stuff that took place there. And so the, the story now picks up after that. And so Paul had, uh, departed from Ephesus be, be, because of, uh, the situation there. And he went back across the Aegean Sea to Greece. And he remained in Greece for three months. And then persecution broke out against him, as it did often occur. And so he then left and sailed back across to Troas. And um, he, he sailed to Troas. He stayed there for seven days. And then he went to uh, Miletus. That's where the the story that we read took place. Uh, Paul's ultimate objective was to get to Jerusalem to try to be there for the day of Pentecost. But there's one thing that happened during those seven days that Paul was in Troas that I wanted to just draw our attention to really quickly. And maybe you remember the story. Uh, Paul had gathered the church together. Now remember, he was not going to see any of these people again. He had spent these years now ministering among them, uh, leading many of them to Christ personally and then discipling them, but he's no longer going to uh, be doing that. And so he, he's aware of that. So he gathers in Troas, he gathers a group of people together and they're, they're gathered in a, a home or, you know, some kind of a place. But it says that Paul, he preached late into the night. 
And so he, you know, he's wanting to just pour as much into them as he can this last time. So he's going on and on preaching. And, it, and it's after midnight, and he's still preaching. And there's a young man named Eutychus. And Eutychus is there listening to Paul. He's sitting in a precarious place, evidently, uh, up in the third loft. And uh, as Paul goes on, Eutychus dozes off and falls down from the third loft and hits the ground and dies. So, you know, what a way to end your ministry in Troas. You know, one of your uh, disciples falls down because you're preaching long. He falls down and dies. But Paul runs down uh, and, and throws himself on the young man, and he is revived, or he's, he's resurrected. He's brought back to life. And Paul then, um, you know, delivers him to the family, and it says that everybody was greatly comforted. But the point that I want to make is, you know, here in Acts 20, you have the account of a resurrection from the dead, but Luke just kind of skims right over it. I mean, he tells you that it happened, but that's all he does. He doesn't go to any into any further detail. So now we come to the passage that we read together today. So here it is in Miletus. Now, Miletus is about uh, 35, 40 miles um, the other side of Ephesus. So Paul intentionally did, he didn't want to go to Ephesus, it said. He didn't want to, he was trying to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost. He, he thought probably he would get bogged down if he went to Ephesus. So he sailed past Ephesus, went to Miletus, and then he called for the elders of the church to meet him in Miletus. And so it's here that uh, Paul takes them and gives them this instruction. So through Paul's words to the Ephesian elders, we learn from both his example and his exhortation to them what pastoral ministry looks like. And so that's our focus today. We're going to look at what pastoral ministry looks like, first of all, through Paul's example, secondly, through Paul's exhortation, and then the third and final thing that we'll look at is uh, Paul's confidence in the sovereignty of God as he ultimately will leave them. So let's, let's look first of all at Paul's example of what pastoral ministry is to be like. So verse 19, he said, serving the Lord, this is, he's describing himself. This is, they know this is how he was among them. Serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole 
counsel or purpose or will of God. So Paul reminds them of his um, practice among them. And we're going to look at a few things here. First of all, he says that he served the Lord uh, in humility. And then we can add to that, uh, that he served the Lord in sincerity and in uh Sacrificially, Look at verses 33 and 34. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessity uh, and for those who were with me. So the first thing is that Paul was there in humility. Now, Paul was, um, you know, he was a man who could have been proud. He had a lot of natural things that he could have been proud of, a lot of accomplishments. And not only that, but he had some pretty uh, amazing spiritual power. And sometimes when a, a person, you know, is accomplished or a person uh, has, you know, a certain amount of spiritual power, you know, sometimes that can, that can go to a person's head. And they can end up being prideful. We've been studying the, the life of uh, David, and we looked at King Saul, and we saw how King Saul was a humble guy, and God exalted him, made him the king, but it went to his head, and then he became an egomaniac and uh, ruined everything. And, and that danger is there when a person is elevated. But Paul maintained he was a humble person, and so he served among them humbly. He was there really to to serve is the right word. He was there as a servant to them. And we see that he was sincere from verse 33. In other words, he had no ulterior motive. He wasn't doing this to get anything from them. He wasn't trying to make money uh, as a minister of the gospel. He wasn't trying to enrich himself. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. It wasn't about his, you know, um, enriching himself, he was there to enrich them. And they could see that because he, his lifestyle uh, communicated that. And then we see that he was sacrificial, that he worked with his own hands. He came to them and he worked among them, uh, his trade. We saw before that he was a tent maker and he paid his own way, basically, so that he could minister to them. So his whole point was, you know, that he had come there to serve them, not to get from them, but to give to them. And that is a, a beautiful picture of what uh, pastoral ministry should be about. The pastor is a, is a servant there to give, not there to get, not doing it for self uh enrichment or, you know, to, to promote one's own agenda. Now, of course, the sad reality is that that hasn't been the case with everybody throughout the history of the church. You know, sometimes people, when you, even when you tell them maybe that, you know, you go to church, they say, oh, the church, man, that's all about money. They're just, they're just there to rip you off. And you know what? It's a sad reality that in some cases that has been true, but it's not true always. And as a matter of fact, if you kind of looked at the vast majority of people who have served the Lord, they've been more like Paul rather than more like the, you know, the false teachers that are doing it for the wrong reason and basically to enrich themselves. But Paul could point to his own experience and remind them. 
And we see also that he ministered, he says, with many tears and trials. Paul mentions tears a couple of times here. He mentions tears in his epistle and his epistles. But Paul was, he was so, he, he wanted so desperately for people to really know Christ and especially the Jews. He was a Jew. And he wanted his people, the Jewish people. I mean, after all, Jesus was their Messiah. And he wanted them so desperately to know the Messiah, but they, they didn't want to know him. And this caused Paul great heartbreak. And much, much of that weeping was over the fact that the Jews had missed their savior. And, and so he, you know, he says, you, you saw my, my tears and you know about the trials that I had by the plotting of the Jews. So it was these, uh, these Jewish, um, leaders who were resisting the message of Jesus being the Messiah that were at the, the root of the suffering that Paul was experiencing. They, they persecuted him or they, they, um, influenced other people to, uh, persecute him. And so these things deeply grieved the Apostle Paul. In writing to the church in Rome in the ninth chapter, maybe you remember reading this, Paul says there that he says, I would be a curse from Christ, if possible, for the sake of my kinsmen according to the flesh. In other words, he says, you know, if I could trade places, if I could go to hell and they could go to heaven, that's pretty much what he's saying. He said, I would trade places. That's how, that's how his heart was so full of love and passion for his people. But it caused great grief because they continued to resist the gospel. So tears, trials. And then he says that he taught them publicly and from house to house. Uh, Paul ministered publicly. We know that he was in the school of Tyrannus, which would have been a public, public assembly. Uh, but he also ministered privately. You know, again, Paul wasn't a celebrity pastor. He wasn't a rock star. He wasn't like, hey, you know, just save the big stage for me. And uh, I, I can't, I, I don't have any time for this, you know, small scale stuff. I don't have any time for these little people. I'm just here for the crowds. Uh, sadly, some, some have been like that. But Paul wasn't like that at all. Paul was like Jesus. Because Jesus, of course, you have these, uh, references in the Gospels where Jesus is preaching to the multitudes, but then you often find in the Gospel Jesus is sitting having a conversation with individual people. I think of the woman at the well, uh, a Samaritan woman, and Jesus is telling her things that he hadn't even told the religious leaders. He's telling her, I'm the Messiah. So Paul follows in the footsteps of Jesus. He's happy to minister publicly to the, to the larger audiences, but he's just as happy to minister privately. Again, because the ministry wasn't about him, it was about the Lord and the people. And then he says, he, he speaks about his teaching. He says that he declared to them the whole counsel of God. So we see that Paul taught them. That was, that was uh, a main uh, thing that he did in his ministry to them. And he remained there for those years. He was there for those three years. And he was teaching them the whole time that he was there. He said he taught them the whole counsel of God. 
another word, you could translate the word counsel as purpose of God or will of God. So Paul taught them everything that they needed to know. He, he had already said, I didn't hold back anything that was profitable. I told you everything that you needed to know to be able to move forward and grow and mature and, and succeed in your Christian life. That's pretty much what he's saying. So he's teaching the believers, but he's also continues a ministry of evangelism because he talks about uh, preaching uh repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ to both Jew and Gentile. So Paul carried on an evangelistic ministry as well. It wasn't simply that uh, he just gathered only with the believers and taught them. He did that, but he kept up the efforts to reach those who didn't yet know Christ. And then he kind of sums everything up in these words. He says that I received from the Lord Jesus, the ministry was to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That was, that was Paul's life. His life was all about testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. And that's what he did. And that's what the ministry itself is about. The ministry is about God. The ministry is about his grace. And the job of the pastor is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, we see as we come to verse 28, we see Paul's exhortation. So look at verse 28. He says, therefore, take heed to yourself. So he's talking about himself. I've not shown to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. And so as Paul now begins to exhort those, now th these are the elders. So in the passage, we have, we have elders, overseers, and pastors or shepherds. They're all the same people. They're just different, um, just different ways of describing them. So when you find these in, in scripture, now remember, it was the elders of the church that he called for. So that's a reference to the elders. And then he's going to talk to them about overseeing. And then he's going to tell them to shepherd. So to oversee, the Greek word is episkopos, which means just that. It means to watch over. And that's the word, if you have an older translation like the King James Version, it's going to read bishop uh, when you come to, say, 1 Timothy chapter 3. If anyone desires the office of a bishop, they desire a good thing. Uh, the, the word bishop comes from those two Greek words, to oversee. So it's much better, I think, to understand it as overseers, those who watch over. When I think of a bishop in my mind, I think of a guy in a long robe. I think of a, you know, kind of a miter type of a cap. Um, but that's, that was just what bishops became throughout the long period of church history. The early days, the bishops were simply the overseers, but they were also the shepherds. The pastors, the word pastor and shepherd is the same word. It comes from the Greek word poimon, which means a shepherd. Now, this is what uh, Paul says to them, first of all. Notice this. Take heed to yourselves. See, this is so vitally important. Because if the, if the pastor loses sight of his own spiritual life, then everything else is going to be a disaster. So the pastor has to give attention to 
his own life spiritually. And that's where Paul starts. Take heed to yourselves. Uh, just because a person is in pastoral ministry doesn't mean that they're uh, immune to challenges, difficulties, temptations, failures. Uh, you know, just like everybody else, pastors are vulnerable to those things. So pastors, like everyone else, have to make sure they're attending to their own soul. Um, back in the, the 1800s, one of the great preachers of the, of that era, a man named Charles Spurgeon, referred to him many times, quoted him many times. He, he wrote a book, um, called Lectures to My Students. It's, it's really a classic. And the first chapter in the book is called The Minister's Self-Watch. So he, he starts, it's a thick book too. There's a lot in it, but he starts there with The Minister's Self-Watch. Let me read to you, uh, a little bit from the book. He says this. He says, we are in a certain sense our own tools and therefore must keep ourselves in order. If I want to preach the gospel, I can only use my own voice. I can only think with my own brains and feel with my own heart. And therefore, I must educate my intellectual and emotional faculties I can only weep and agonize for souls in my own renewed nature. Therefore, I must watchfully maintain the tenderness which was in Christ Jesus. It will be in vain for me to stock my library or organize societies or project schemes if I neglect the culture of myself. For books and agencies and systems are only remotely the instruments of my holy calling, my own spirit, soul, and body are my nearest machinery for sacred service. My spiritual faculties and my inner life are my battle axe and my weapons of war. Now, in the midst of him saying this, he then quotes uh, another minister, a contemporary uh, of his, at least at one point, um, Robert Murray McShane. And this is what McShane said. Spurgeon adds this. Remember, you are God's sword, his instrument, I trust, a chosen vessel unto him to bear his name. In great measure, according to the purity and perfection of the instrument, will be success. It is not great talents God blesses so much as likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awesome weapon in the hand of God. So that Spurgeon, again, he's talking about the young pastors, make sure before anything else, you tend to your own spiritual life. Because when, whenever you see a pastor who has become shipwrecked, as we might say, where there's a, a, you know, a, a disaster that's occurred, there's a fall that's taken place, whatever it might be, this is what you know. They fail to do that. They fail to take heed to themselves. They fail to tend to their own uh, spiritual well-being. So, so that's what he says to them first. That's where they start. So take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So now they are to shepherd the church of God. In Isaiah's prophecy in the 40th chapter, in the 11th verse, Isaiah prophesies about Jesus. And this is what he says about him. He says, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. 
He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them close to his heart and gently lead those who are with young. Now, this is a prophecy, as I said, it's a prophecy of the Lord when he comes. But it is such a perfect breakdown of the responsibility of the pastor. This is exactly what a pastor is to do. A pastor is to feed the flock, tend the flock, lead the flock. And then just by very definition, uh, a shepherd uh, will protect the flock. And Paul mentions that here as well. But let, let me just walk you through each of these things really quickly. Number one responsibility of the shepherd or the pastor. It's the same, same word, same Greek word, poimen. So when you say Pastor Brian, uh, you're actually saying Shepherd Brian. <laughs> That's what, every, like when you're, you know, sometimes when I'm uh, typing in pastor on a, maybe on a document or maybe texting it, you know what it always goes to? It always goes to like pasteurize or, you know, something like that. It's like they don't even know the word pastor exists. But uh, the, the word, you know, the old translation, the King James Version, it says, it doesn't say shepherd the flock of God. It says feed the flock of God. Because that's part of what the, the pastor should do. I think turning the word from feed to shepherd was the right thing because it's not just feeding, but that is a huge part of it. So feed the flock of God. What do we feed the flock of God? We feed the flock of God God's word. God's word is the, the source of spiritual nourishment that he has given to his people. And the responsibility of the pastor, the shepherd, is to feed God's people God's word. And that's why we do what we do. That's why every time you come here, uh, we've got our Bible. And we've got it open. And we're reading from it. And we're walking through the text and we're teaching it. Uh, we're not just, you know, using it as a supplement to other things that we want to talk about. No, this is the, this is the, the substantial thing. We might bring in other things, uh, as, you know, to supplement or to illustrate what we're saying. But what we're doing is we are teaching God's word because that's the way the flock of God is nourished. Now, I read a statistic just a few days ago. That, that talked about like maturity levels among Christians. And it was really interesting because actually the statistic was those who read the Bible most frequently found, were found to be the most spiritually mature. It wasn't even they studied the Bible. It wasn't um, that they, uh, you know, listened to Bible studies but they read it. And you think, well, that, of course, because this is God's word. This is the food. And the more you ingest it, the more you take it in, just like, you know, it works the same way for our bodies, right? The more we take in good food, the healthier and the stronger we become. And so this is the first responsibility of the shepherd, to feed the flock of God and to feed them his word. We're not, again, we're not about all of these other things. You know, we're not about politics. We're not about, you know, cultural this or that, or what's happening societally. All of that stuff overlaps at points, but that's not the emphasis. That's not the, the main thing. 
And, and we don't use the Bible as a springboard into a topic that I want to talk to you about. So I got this really cool topic I want to talk to you about, but I need a Bible verse. So let me spring off the Bible verse so it looks like we're doing something from the Bible. But what we're really doing is I'm just giving you my opinion about something I'm passionate about. That happens a lot of times. And that is not what Paul is talking about. When he says shepherd the flock, he means give them God's word. Like, like he said that he did. I gave you everything that was profitable for you because of his concern for their spiritual well-being. So God feeding them with God's word. Secondly, tending to the flock of God. Notice what it says in the prophecy here, that he will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them close to his heart. I love that. And what this talks about is the need for the pastor or pastors, plural, plurality of pastors. Uh, that's what we have here. Um, it's talking about the personal attention that is given. Now, there's, there's places for just exactly what we're doing right now. I'm speaking to a larger number of you. But there's also a place pastorally for personal care. Some of you, at some point in time, you will need to have uh, a follow-up to maybe something you've heard taught from the, the pulpit here. So something speaks to you, and you think, man, that I, I've got to find out more about how that is going to be worked out in my life and what, you know, what that means for me and all that. And so that's where the pastoral care part comes in. You see, if we just would say, well, you know, I just like to do the platform thing and, you know, I don't really want to have any personal connection with anybody. Well, that, that's really not shepherding because a shepherd has to have personal connection. I mean, in the Middle East, you know, the shepherding there, and Jesus uses the illustration himself that he is the good shepherd. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. He's taking all of that from what actually happens with shepherds. So a shepherd wasn't somebody who was, uh, you know, just kept his distance from the flock. The shepherd was the person who at times was very much engaged with the flock, you know, getting right down and having to, you know, mend their wounds and cuddle them and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And that's the pastoral care that's a responsibility as well. Praying for people individually, counseling them biblically, and personally caring for them. But then the third thing, that he shall gently lead those who are with young. And this is also a part of the pastor's um, job, is to lead people. Now, we do that by giving direction, by giving guidance, by, you know, sometimes a person doesn't really know the way to go. And, and a pastor who is wise and who is grounded in God's word and who has the spirit operating in their life, they could say, you know, they listen to your story and they say, you know, I think God wants you to go in this direction. And suddenly you're finding that, wow, I'm really being led. And so we lead. We lead by example. Paul, a lot of what he did here in the first part was he just reminded them of who he was among them. So he's leading. He's showing them this is, this is what a pastor is. I think also that 
each local church, each individual congregation, I think God has a calling. And it's my responsibility to sense the calling that God has on us as a congregation so that we can be going in the direction. You know, like we pointed out in the previous study, uh, the church is not to just, you know, be isolated in a community. The church is God's base of operation in the community from which ministry is to go out. So what ministry do we do? Well, that's the pastor's job, to know what ministry we do. I've prayed about it. I've sought the Lord. God is speaking this to me. God is showing us that this is the way we need to go. And people are like, yeah, that's right. I feel that too. Let's go. That's, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about leading here. But then fourthly, uh, the Isaiah passage doesn't have this, but again, it's implied with the shepherd. The shepherd was responsible to protect the sheep. That's part of the shepherd's job. And look what Paul says here in the passage. He says in verse 29, after he tells them to, uh, you know, shepherd the flock, he says, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. And so this is another responsibility. The pastors are to equip. See, as we equip you, as we teach you God's word, we are equipping you with the truth so that when uh, error comes your way, you can detect it and defend yourself against it. There are times, uh, not just are we equipping, but there are times when we have to warn as well. There are times when we have to say, hey, watch out for this. Sometimes we actually, actually have to say, hey, watch out for this person because this person is teaching something that is harmful. Now, you know, oftentimes people get kind of frustrated with the church. It's like, you know, your message is so negative. You know, why don't you, you guys don't have any good thing to say. And, you know, they've got a point. And I think we have to be careful not to be, um, we already have to warn, but we, we should be warning about real problems and concerns. You know, most of the, all that noise that's made and all of that, most of it is just Christians bickering with each other over things they don't like that don't really have any major doctrinal significance. And that it needs to just stop. We need to silence that. It's like there should be a, a, a thing on Facebook where you can just turn that part of it off because that's where so much of this crazy stuff goes on. But there is a legitimate place to warn. And there are real dangers out there. There are, as Paul said, notice the terms that he used. He uses a a strong term, savage wolves. Oh, savage wolf, that's vicious, that's ferocious. And, And there are those who will try to come in and bring destructive teaching. And these are the things that the pastor is responsible uh, to warn about. And so there, there are those times, inevitably, where you're going to have to say things that, that come across negative simply because these are real issues that need to be addressed and guarded against. So these are the four things that Paul says. Feed, tend, lead, protect. 
Now, Paul expresses here in verses in verse 32, he expresses what everyone who's in pastoral ministry needs to, to know. And this is it. He says this in verse 32, now, brethren, so now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You know, every pastor has to learn this, that at the end of the day, the people belong to God. And that's what Paul said in the, in the latter part of verse 28. The church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And we, we have to recognize that, that at the end of the day, the church is God's responsibility. And there's a point where I have to, I, as, a, as a pastor, I have to trust in the sovereign power and grace of God to take care of his people. Um, because of course I won't always be around to do it and I can't spend my life worrying about well, who's going to, you know, who's going to be the next person to come along. There, there's that point where you have to just say, okay, Lord, these are your people. And that's what Paul is doing here. He is, um, expressing his confidence that God is able. God is able. I have learned this over the years that God is able. And in my younger years of pastoring, I, I was, I was much more, um, just, you know, thinking that it was up to me to make sure everything went right and to make sure everybody, you know, did well and, you know, what, what about this? And if they go and what, what's going to happen? And, it, you know, there, there comes a point where you just have to just say, okay, Lord, it, it's your church. It's your church. You purchased it with your blood. It, you care about it more than I do. Now, again, I'm, you know, I'm speaking to, to a broader audience than who, than those of you that are sitting here. But, you know, this is something that's hard for pastors to learn. There are pastors today who should step away from their church. They, they, they're, they should retire. There is a legitimate place for that. And they should pass the baton to the next generation. But you know what? They won't do it. Why won't they do it? Because they can't trust God to take care of it. They think, you know, if I'm not doing it, it's all going to fall apart. Well, listen, if your church falls apart because you're not doing it, then you're doing it all wrong in the first place. Because you're obviously teaching people dependency on you, not on the Lord. So, you know, there, there is that point where we have to recognize, no, in the end of the day, I commend you to God. I'll never forget this moment. I was in London and I was sitting there praying with five guys. And these guys are really dear friends of mine. They're still very close friends today. And I'll never forget that one of them said this. Now, I was probably there two years at the time. And I, I was kind of, in my mind, indefinitely there. I wasn't going anywhere. And this is what the, the friend prayed. He said, Lord, he said, may we never hear the day that Pastor Brian says that he has to move on. And you know, I said, amen, amen. May they never hear that day because I didn't want that day to come. But you know, that day did come. But I remember as he prayed that prayer, I just thought, oh, you know, my heart was so touched because of his affection uh, for me as the pastor. But um, you know, that day did come. That day did come when God said, 
hey, I'm calling you. You need to leave. You got to go back. And But Lord, what about this? Well, Brian, it's my church. I purchased it with my blood. And just, you know, just give it to me. Uh, I'll, I'll take care of it. And, and that's what we have to do. We have to learn that. And, you know, my son, who's here leading worship this morning, who is also a pastor, uh, said, Dad, let me give you a little tip here. And it was a good tip, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it and go. <laughs> no, he just shared with me what he was sharing with his church when he was preaching on this passage. But talking just about this whole idea of commending it to God, recognizing the ability to God, uh, the, the ability of God to, to do it. And what he said to me, he said, you know, when I was young in the ministry, he said, I, I just, I was just so worried, like, you know, this is going to happen and a false teaching is going to come in and I, you know, oh no, there's a little bit of sin. We got to get this out of here as quick as we can. And he said, you know, over the years, you learn to trust in God's sovereignty. You learn that if you try to control something too much, you can actually squelch it can actually choke it, can actually prevent people from moving forward with the Lord. You think you're trying to get them to move forward with the Lord by jumping in and correcting their whatever, you know, at that point. But what you end up doing is you, because you're not trusting God, you end up interfering with what God's going to do. And you could actually mess the whole thing up. So the point was, as, as pastors, and I, I have learned this over the years, you have to remember at the end of the day, this is God's church. And to be able to say, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. I am so glad that you're God's sheep <laughs> at the end of the day and that he's watching out for you. He's taking care of you. He loves you. He's working in your life, and I'm thankful to have a part in that, but I know that um, my part has limitations, and of course, he has no limitations. And so, Paul's confidence, this is the pastor's confidence that the church was bought with the blood of God, and God is able to... do what he plans and intends to do with the church. Now, in closing, remember Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And we look at Jesus and we see that he is in the he's really, you know, Paul is a is a great example here to, to follow that example. But Paul is looking to Jesus. Jesus was the great shepherd of the sheep. But Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, listen to what he, or listen to what the gospel tells us about him. When he, Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That is what I am praying. And that's what I'm always praying. Lord, we need more shepherds. We need more churches. We need more pastors. Just coming off, you know, the pastor's conference this past week, 
and you know, having conversations with people from all over the world and, and listening to men who are pleading and saying, oh, we need help. We need more churches. We, we need, can you send people? And it's just like, oh, yes, Lord, please do that. And that's a prayer that I am praying regularly. And I would encourage you to pray that prayer as well. Because God calls people, and this is what I want to finish up with today. Uh, God calls people into being pastors. Notice what Paul says here. He says, take heed to the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The people the church are the flock of God the Father purchased by the precious blood of God the Son and supervised by overseers appointed by the Holy Spirit. See, that's, that's the thing. Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. Pastors are people who are appointed by God. Pastors are not people who just wake up one day and decide, I want to be a pastor. I think that would be a good vocation. Pastors are people who are called by God. Now, it could be that you wake up one day and decide, I want to be a pastor, and that's how God's calling you, because you have this thought that comes into your head that's never been there before. What am I thinking? Why would I want to be a pastor? But my point is this. It's a calling. It's an appointing by God. And to me, I think of the, the, to, to be a pastor. And I think of Jesus who said, I am the good pastor. That's what he said. I am the good shepherd. I am the good pastor. Remember it's the same word. I, I am the good shepherd. And, and to think to be able to follow in the steps of the Lord Jesus with that. What an incredible honor. But again, it's not something that, that a person you know, decides to do, there's, there's a calling there. And what I believe and what I've been praying for and what I'm going to continue to pray for is that from our congregation here, we need more pastors. Where do we get them? Well, guess what? We get them right from our midst because God calls. And here you are today and you're sitting here and you're listening to this message. And this could be the beginning of a call of God on your life into pastoral ministry. This could be the um, just further confirmation that God has been speaking this to you. This could be that word that you just walk, walk away today going, okay, there's no doubt in my mind that this is, this is the call of God on my life. I know that that's what happened to me. Many, many years ago, I was sitting right over in that section and I was listening to Pastor Chuck teach up here and I just began to have the sense that God was going to lead me to do what Chuck was doing. And believe me, I was about as clueless as they came back in those days. I mean, I'm like, wow, how, how would that ever happen? And, you know, through a process of time, Pastor Chuck found out that that was something that I was thinking, something that was on my heart. And when he invited me to come on staff and to uh, train as an intern, the first thing I said to him was, I don't know what to do. And he said, of course you don't. That's why I've asked you to come and train. 
and I'll teach you. And, you know, and, but my point isn't so much that. My point was when I was sitting over there, uh, 22, 23 years old, and God starts speaking that to me. And so maybe you're hearing something like that today because the church needs today men who will say, as Paul said in verse 24, Nothing moves me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish the race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The church needs men appointed by the Holy Spirit as overseers of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And I am convinced that God is calling people. We're not done here on the earth yet. As much as, you know, people want to think that, oh man, the rapture is probably next week because look what's going on in the news. Look what's going on in Israel. Uh, I beg to differ. I think there's time. God is on the move. He's working. He's sending his servants out. He's still calling. He's still appointing. He's still equipping and he's still sending. And I want us to do that until the day that he takes us out of the earth. So Lord, that's our prayer as your church. That's my prayer, Lord, for our body, that you would from your flock here at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, Lord, that you would continue to raise up men that you would appoint as overseers to shepherd the flock of God. I pray that you would continue to do that, Lord. And I thank you for the amazing history of that happening here. And Lord, we thank you for the past, but we don't want to just be stuck in the past. We want to be thinking about the present and the future. So, Lord, would you do that? And, Lord, would you help us, help me, help the pastors here on staff to be men like you described here in your word? And, Lord, we all would pray together today for all of the pastors that were here last week. And most of them have gone back, and they're back there at their churches. Some are still en route But Lord, we pray that they would go back full of faith and the Holy Spirit, greatly encouraged with fresh passion and vision to continue to be faithful to you. Lord, that they might feed and tend and lead and guard your people. All for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.